Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, who said 2020 was going to be a quiet year, eh? We might have thought after we had, well, maybe not Brexit dealt with, but the election and everything else, that things would calm down a bit. But here we are today, and they're, they're saying, oh, there's going to be strong winds, and there's warnings, and things could blow off buildings, and all this sort of stuff. And obviously, some folks feel, understandably so, that that's going to be a bit too challenging to come out. And then if you were to get a paper this morning, I, I don't get a paper on a Sunday, not for any particular religious reasons, I just don't get one because I wouldn't read it. But here this morning, there's, there's gloomy warnings that the cat's out the bag as far as the, the new virus, that we're on the brink of having a pandemic, which is the fact it spreads globally. Um, I mean, let's be honest, if you were in a chalet in Switzerland on skiing holiday, you hardly think you'd have been getting bugs from somebody from Singapore or China, but turns out a poor family have, although I believe they're actually not ill, that ill. But nonetheless, we live in concerning times. And that's just globally. Fires in Australia, now they've got floods. Did you see that? And one wonders what's going on in the world. And others of us are here this morning, and we've got storms going on round about us. We've got loved ones who are very ill. We're concerned perhaps about our job situation and uncertainty, and certainly apart from anything else, even if this bug does spread, apart from any disease, it will will have a major impact on the global economy, and I think we have to be aware of that, and things could be very challenging that way globally. We've relied far too long, I have to say, on China and things coming from China. I think the day of reckoning is drawing nigh for the West in that And and so in the midst of all of that, personal concerns, issues within our lives, the wind blowing on outside, and the fear of Emily coughing, have you been to Wuhan recently? (laughs) I have to confess, there was three folks in in Tesco's who were from China, and they were speaking in Chinese, and I have to say, I was tempted to say, I hope you haven't been in Wuhan. (laughs) I'm sure they weren't. But nonetheless, in that spirit of fear and anxiety and concern, as I say, globally, nationally, and as I say, both personally, what are we to make of it? How as Christians are we to respond? One of the criticisms made against Christianity and against the church is, of course, that we're indifferent to all of that. We hide in our bubble, literally in our buildings, or in a little bubble of what people would say was a make-believe type of view of the world, and we just hide in there, and we don't actually engage or are concerned about what's going on out there. Other people would say, well, no, fair enough, the church and Christians are concerned, but ultimately they're powerless. There's forces at work both in nature and, 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 and in the climate and in politics. I heard this morning John Berkeley, the former um, Speaker of the House of Commons, saying that we had lived in a decade of rage. You can make of that as you like, but we are surrounded by all these forces and actually confronted by them. Christians are... You know, we stand there and kind of rub our hands and we smile and we do a wee bit, but we're actually powerless in front of the main challenges and the big issues that face lives and our world. Good intentions, perhaps, but we can't deliver the goods or make any difference. Well, that certainly isn't the picture presented to us from Matthew's gospel. 
Um, here we have, and we've been following on through Matthew, and I encourage you to look at the, the passage we've got before us this morning. Here we're looking at the story of one whose heart, we're told, was filled with compassion. That's actually a bit weak, verse 36 of chapter 9. Because compassion, I mean, many people can be filled with compassion. We can feel sorry for people. We can feel upset for people. The, the, the language behind that is far stronger. Jesus was filled with passionate compassionate, something that was stirring the very innermost parts of his being as he looked out and as he saw the crowds. He was stirred by the need of the world round about him. He was stirred by the, flight, the plight of so many. He speaks of the gospel writers tell us that he was filled with compassion, with deep, moving, stirring pity as he saw them. They were like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And into such an environment, and into such a world, he goes and enters into. And we're told he goes proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, God's rule breaking in, God's herald proclaiming that God's power is at hand. And he heals every disease and sickness. And so, first and foremost, when people challenge the church or challenge Christians or, or, or comment about the state of the world or this or that and other, we need to remind ourselves and then remind them, hear us, those who are talking to us, that the very heart of the gospel is a God who does enter, and that's what the incarnation is all about. It's funny, people will celebrate Christmas, and they're all quite happy to see the crib here with the baby and everything else, but they actually don't take on board what that means, that the word that spoke and brought everything into being is the word that took frail flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth, the one who enters into our afflictions, the one who enters into the brokenness and plight of our world and of our lives, and that one is Jesus, Jesus Christ. Matthew, of course, is wanting to remind his readers that this is a case, that this is the one who fulfills what the prophets spoke about not some distant deity, not some abstract, cold, and indifferent God who demands worship, but is unconcerned about the realities of human life, but a God, yes, who is worthy of worship because he precisely he is concerned about the realities of life. As we sang of that one who is king, we were reminded that at the Father's side, the man of love, the crucified. And so God's people are commissioned by Jesus to be his body, bringing that reality into our world. He calls the 12 disciples to them, we read, and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He calls on his disciples and says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Here is an organic, active body at work. People involved, hearts stirred, needs identified, and a response made. That's at the heart of biblical Christianity. And it begins with prayer. We are to ask the Lord of the harvest. We are to pray, and it's encouraging that as a fellowship, we spend time in various ways at various gatherings praying. Not, somebody was asking Elizabeth, do you still have prayers of intercession in the more traditional way in the morning service? And no, we don't in that kind of way often, though we do 
often pray in what we're talking about. But sometimes, I'm not sure, that could have been so often. I remember going, that was so often a kind of ticking the box type thing. But we do engage in intercessory prayer often. Yes, here at the evening fellowship, at the house groups, at other opportunities on a Saturday morning where we pray to the Lord of the harvest and we offer ourselves to be workers in that harvest field. And the challenge, of course, of these passages is that all of us, if we're a follower of Jesus, are a worker if we are one of his. And he sends them out and he tells them. Now, obviously, there's a particular setting here. This is Jesus sending out the disciples not to go among the Gentiles or enter into the Samaritans, but to go to the lost sheep of Israel. In a sense, Israel's getting their last chance. This is, this is those who should have recognized who Jesus is, who should have welcomed as the Messiah, as some did. We saw the Christmas story, Simeon and Anna and others. As the disciples are beginning to recognize, so here's an opportunity for them to go to the lost sheep of Israel, to those who should have known who Jesus was. That's not our calling in that sense. We are not the disciples. We are not the apostles. But nonetheless, we're still called to go to go out with the message. And look what the message is. The kingdom of heaven has come near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. We've often said as we've been looking at this passage, these passages from Matthew's gospel, that people rightly question nowadays so much talk. Talk radio is nothing. Talk, talk all around us is common demonstrations, the word that becomes flesh, that's what makes an impact. And that's why, for instance, as a church session, as a church, and let me refer you back to your intimation sheet if you want to look at that for a wee minute, that's why we have here, and I'll get that later, that's why we have suggested that we should reopen exploring the whole prayers for healing ministry and also the healing hurting hearts, the trauma healing course that the Bible Society um, runs. And there's a story behind that. Many of you will know that for a long, long time we had a Prayers for Healing ministry here, um, not, by, not purely part church. We, were, we hosted it when I came at first 20, 21 years ago. It went here on a Tuesday, and people from different churches came about. It actually had started many years before, during Mr. White's time, my predecessor's time. It was actually the widow of a Church of Scotland minister who had become members of the parish church many years before. And they had been involved along with um, others in the healing ministry of the church, not just the Church of Scotland, but the wider church. Many of you will remember, his name's just going out of my head, um, who was it down in the Clyde Valley? Yes, George Fox. Um, many of you will perhaps even remember him. And they were part of that ministry of a prayers for healing. And we hosted it for various reasons. We had come to host it. Different people came and spoke. Different things happened. And over the years, it developed um, in various ways. We had some very encouraging evenings here on a Sunday night um, where those who definitely had a gift of ministry in that area, and I looked around, a number of you came to these special services or to these events, and God used them to bring his healing touch. Now, when I say healing, it doesn't always mean physical healing. It meant ministering to people's emotions and to people's issues in life, setting them free perhaps from things that were they were hanging on to or things that began to hang on to them, resentments and, and various things. And we saw God definitely at work. 
And then it, well, I have to say, it kind of lost its way a bit. I'll not go into that publicly, but it did. And, and it ended. But there has been thought for some time that that doesn't mean the disciples got it often wrong, we can get it wrong. That doesn't mean that we should close the door on it. And alongside all of that, um, I, we had a series of evenings, and some of you will remember that because it was quite a good turnout. We had Marion Carson here helping us to explore pastoral ministry. And out of that, we got encounter or got an encounter with the Scottish Bible Society material, which they're sponsoring in the United Kingdom or in Scotland, um, the Trauma Healing Course, which is a biblical Bible-based course, which again seeks through God's Word and through group sessions and through exploring various issues to be a channel of God's healing Word and truth and life and hope into situations. And it seemed, as it seemed often, right to the apostles to do certain things, so it seemed right to, to the leaders of our church that these things were running, drawing together, and along with that, the parent talk course and contacts with families and various situations that Elizabeth and Karen involved with one or two families within our community, which are struggling with a whole host of issues, that it was time to open that up again, and so we are. And so I commend you for those who would be open to be involved in a, in a prayer ministry and, and to explore what that might involve. I think that's important to do that, that on Tuesday, and they have got the right day this time, on Tuesday at half ten we'll gather here, probably in the church or in the vestry, depending on the numbers, and we'll spend some time exploring what that could mean. And alongside that, you'll notice that we've also committed ourselves to run the trauma healing course, although we're going to change the word to healing hurting hearts or something like that, because there's a tendency trauma, you know, as I said last Sunday, trauma covers, you know, some folk doesn't have trauma because they're kind of, as I say, you know, their cooker doesn't work or their mixer's blown up or something's happened. You know, trauma can mean a lot of things from real trauma to, well, things that are inconvenient. So we'll change the wording slightly, but the material will be getting used by one of the facilitators, Leslie McIntosh, who also happens to be a member of Burnside Church. I commend these things to you for your prayers and for your exploration, because we cannot deny, and we spoke about this at this session, uh, one of the reasons I would never be a free church minister is because um, they, they, there's no liberty of opinion when it comes to the matters of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and because of that, they would argue, and they would say, that all the gifts of the Spirit, all this type of ministry, everything else, everything apart from preaching, basically, has gone by the board in terms of gifts and ministries of the church. I'm sorry, but that's wrong, and we cannot buy into that. We may not be raving charismatics, but neither can we deny that the Word became flesh and impacted lives. Let's explore that. Let's be open to that, because as we read of the call that Jesus gives in the Gospels, they go and preach but they also bring God's healing and restoration into lives and into circumstances. Ah, let's sing together, reminding ourselves of what that means as we stand to sing a hymn that reminds us of what God's kingdom is about, the kingdom of God. It's justice and joy, for Jesus restores what sin would destroy, God's power and glory in Jesus we know, and here and hereafter the kingdom shall grow. Let's stand to sing. And so the disciples are sent out. They're sent out to share out of the bounty they have been given. Freely you have received, 
freely give, and particularly they have not to take stuff with them. They've, that's a, a picture of not relying on their own resources and their own abilities and, and their own gifts even and their own talents, but to be dependent upon God and to be dependent upon God's Spirit preparing people's lives, people's homes, people's hearts to receive them. And there's a principle there that the church, again, in the West needs to learn, that it's not by might nor by our power, but by the Spirit that the things of God are done. And so often the church, particularly in the West, has relied upon its own abilities, its own resources, its own achievements, its own history, its own traditions to do the work of God. And well, we've seen where that leads us not very far. However, should you read this and think, well, great, let's get out there and we'll see the dead raised and everything else, and let's go for that, Jesus warns them of the challenge. I am sending out like sheep among wolves, verse 16. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, a father his child. You'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I'm sure, I hope anyway, that many of us have been deeply moved by the story of the doctor in Wuhan. He was actually an opta, an eye doctor, <laughs> an eye doctor. And it was him who was carrying out treatment on people, uh, according to the paper, uh, uh, somebody who was actually suffering from glaucoma. And he did his job well, guy in his early, mid-30s. And, 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 and when he, he did the investigations, he found that she was suffering from a virus a virus which was very infectious and which was already beginning to spread amongst people. And he notified the authorities. He, he put stuff up on his website and his page, his blog that he was on, to warn other doctors and to raise the profile. And you'll know what happened to him. He got arrested. He got forced to sign a confession. He has, I think, two children. He had two children. His wife is expecting the third. And no doubt under great threat of what will happen to him and to his children, he was forced to sign some confession that basically he was stirring it and causing trouble. But of course he wasn't. And he returned to his labors. And indeed I was listening to one of the doctors commenting on him. I mean, thankfully this is not leading to people in their 30s on the whole dying. It does, however, many of us would be vulnerable to it if it came into this country because of our age and because of other issues with us. He died because he was in the midst of it and would be surrounded by the virus um, in quantities that would have overwhelmed, and did overwhelm eventually after quite a fight, because it was quite a while ago he was diagnosed, his own system. And we've seen there be the photographs of him in hospital uh, and everything else. And, and really, you have to commend someone like that. I don't know whether he was a believer. We have heard that God by his spirit had moved in the city some time ago, and many had come to faith, whether he was a believer or not. He was a, right, a good man who was seeking to do the right thing. But the consequences aren't always good for us. Again, this is a challenge that the West, we need to take on board. 
You know, this mentality, if you do the right thing, well, everything will work out well for you. That's not the case. It's not the case in history. It's not the case globally. And it certainly isn't the case here, is it? Jesus is very clear as to what happens. A disciple, there was a tradition of being a disciple. A disciple was somebody who literally followed on behind the rabbi, the teacher. So basically, they walked in the footsteps of the rabbi. Not just literally, although they would, they would follow in behind, but also in terms of the teaching. And Jesus, of course, makes that clear. Verse 24, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. And being a disciple of Jesus, and at Mark, of course, and, and here you can see the connection between this gospel and Mark's gospel and whatever else, these connections, you know, if you want to, if you want to take up your, if you want to follow me, verse 28, then whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. This challenging call of Jesus to be a disciple, well, isn't a road to success. It's a challenge. Prosperity gospel, very popular, not just in America, but unfortunately not just in the West now, but it has a big influence in, America, in African churches. This idea that you buy into this, that you get a share in the kingdom, and that means, you know, you get your Krugerrands here and there. All of that, and so much more. The thinking that's so insidious that if you're in the kingdom, you'll be okay. And I've seen that, unfortunately, even some who have for a season passed through this church, that somehow it's to be a kind of password that gets you through. You know, you, know, you, you play Monopoly and you get the card, you'll get out of jail free, go straight to go and collect your 200 pounds. Is that is it still 200 pounds? Is it? Um, you know, and this kind of thing. And that's the mentality about the gospel. You sign up. You, you make some, you might get baptized as a believer, whatever, and that's you in, and therefore you've got the royal route to heaven, and you've got your ticket, and it gets you past everything, and you'll get in, and you'll get the reward when you get there. Don't see Jesus saying much about that here. He talks about a very costly discipleship. A costly discipleship that's going to demand that we publicly proclaim again this idea, freely you have received, freely give. And so he says, verse 26, do not be afraid of those who are against you. For there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And we see that even in China with the authorities and the powers trying to keep the lid on things. Well, look what's happened. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We mentioned earlier your prayers for healing ministry that was here in Mr. White's time, thir nearly 30 years ago, certainly well over 20 years ago. Another aspect of the life of our church, which was here when I arrived, was that Mr. White's time, particularly as a congregation, we began to have a concern for the suffering church. He'd had a long involvement with um, Barnabas and with other Christian agencies. Indeed, when he died, we gave a gift to the Barnabas Trust because of their ministry for the suffering church. And that has continued. There's nothing new under the sun, really. God was already preparing in this little fellowship st strands of ministry that have continued 
where the ministers can come and go, God's strands remain. And so we continue to pray for and support the brothers and sisters in Christ. Next Sunday night at our service, we'll be praying for the suffering church and hearing about that and seeing about that. First Sunday in March, we're having James back from Release International, who'll be giving us an update on the situation of the global church, especially in the light of all that's happening in our world today. But we should not think that we're exempt. No, we don't live in the state of persecution that other parts of the world do. No, it's not so obvious, necessarily, whatever else. That can easily change. Under the strains and stresses of our world, all sorts of things will come out. All sorts of attitudes will be revealed. All things that may have been lying there dormant, seemingly asleep beneath the surface, will appear in all their might and all their anger. And God's people, that's you and me, are to be equipped and ready. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Be a disciple? Yes. It's to be a channel of God's power and might released in lives. But be a disciple is also to go the way of Jesus, which was the way of suffering and rejection. Let's sing together. As we face that challenge, we need to remember that we do not enter into these very real issues on our own strength, the very point that Jesus is making, relying on our own resources. And heavenly armor will enter the land, for the battle belongs to the Lord. And we'll stand to sing. And lastly, in the, in the light of that call to be His body, to go out and proclaim in word and indeed the kingdom, God's rule and the impact of that in lives and in living, but to go aware of the cost and the consequences of that. The way of Jesus is the way of discipleship. It's the way of taking up our cross and following him. And he makes that abundantly clear and also warns us against that superficiality, which I'm sure is not present here, because you good folks have made the effort to come out this morning, and I'm not even suggesting it's not amongst those who didn't come out for the weather. But so often, unfortunately, it's common among some parts of the church where people will say plenty of things about God, and Jesus then will say, I do not know you. Because never truly were a disciple. In the light of that, what can we all do? may think, well, my days of getting up preaching are past, and I certainly, you know, I, I, I'm not sure whether my ministry is to be laying on our hands and praying for people or listening to people in various circumstances, and, and, and I'm not sure I could take on board all that trauma healing course could cope with. Well, think about that, but listen to what Jesus ends with. It's, it's amazing. He brings everything down to very practical things. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. 
whoever welcomes a prophet, 31, verse 41, as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, who is my disciple? Truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose the reward. And as we finish, my friends, we can all do this, can't we? We can all reach out the hand of welcome. We can all either literally or in some figuratively way offer a cup of water to the least. We can all, in our ministry of hospitality, both in our listening ear, in the openness of our homes, in the care we have for others, we can all be channels of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit. We can all welcome to our fellowship, as we have done over many years, servants of the Lord from other parts of the world. And that pleases the Lord. We don't do it in that way. Let's do this so we can keep in his good books. But that pleases the Lord as we have welcomed people from other parts of the world and pray for them and practically support them. You'll see as the accounts are presented at our annual business meeting, which I will read the edict at the end of the service before we finish. Um, but nonetheless, you'll see that this year, um, through the support, advice, and guidance of one of our managers, one of our year managers, we set up a quite distinctive mission fund. And so this year we've given more. We've given a tenth, a tithe of our income to other needs, to other Christian ministries in the world who has allowed us, enabled us to do that. We, as we have received, so we freely give. We can all exercise that ministry. That's for the whole body. That's for everyone. That's for you and for me. But we do that because we have freely received. At the end of the day, God so loved us that he gave us all. How can we not love others without all? Let's respond to his word as we bring our offerings and as we remain seated and sing together the song, Jesus, all for Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.